everyone, if you want to find your way to your seats, we will go ahead and get things started. So, good morning, everyone. Again, welcome to FX Church. Um, I hope that you all had a wonderful week. I hope you all found something better to do with your Saturday than I did watching IU football. I'll leave that there. Um, but we're so glad that you're all here. For those that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting before, my name is Luke Bellata. I'm not usually the one preaching on a Sunday morning, but I have the honor and the privilege of doing that uh, this morning. So I'm very excited to do that. Also want to uh, address the J-sized elephant in the room today, if you noticed. Uh, no, we did not twin intentionally, but we are literally head to toe wearing the exact same outfit today. So great mind thinks alike, and it's just like our weird old roommate connection just still going strong. Uh, but that was kind of embarrassing when I pulled up this morning. But we look good, so. Uh, I'm gonna open with a word of prayer, and we'll dive into the word this morning. So let's pray. Dearly Father, again, we give you praise just for your goodness and your faithfulness for us, Lord. We thank you uh, for your word. Lord, we thank you that we know it's true and that uh, we can uh, live our lives according to it and according to your promises. Lord, we thank you for, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. Lord, for making uh, the ability for us to be reconciled to you through a relationship with Jesus. Um, Lord, I just pray for this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help to guard my tongue to be true to your word and true to the things uh, that your word says and pray for those in attendance today and those that are online that you would again just open their hearts and minds to your word and being receptive to, to what you have to say through it. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So this fall, we've been going through our series in 2 Corinthians um, titled The God of All Comfort. And so this is taken from the beginning of Paul's letter that we see in verse 3 of chapter 1, where it says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So um, there's a, a unique comfort that we can experience as believers that only comes from a relationship with God. It's a, a supernatural level of comfort. Um, and so this morning, we're going to be focused in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles or if you use your phone, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be uh, uh, focusing there for the majority of today. Um, if you don't have a Bible or anything, as always, if you don't know, online at fxchurch.com. If you click the Go Live button right on the front page, um, our service notes are linked there, as well as all the scripture that's used on a Sunday morning is linked there as well. So you can follow along through that. Or you can also go back later in the week if you want to review any scripture uh, that we talked about on Sunday. So if you were here last week, Matt talked about the ministry of reconciliation. And this is kind of what Paul just got done talking about where we're going to pick up in, in chapter 5. Um, just talking about the importance of the ministry that we've been called to and the importance for us to be reconciled to God. So I'm going to have us pick up uh, at the end of chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 16, uh, just to kind of review real quick of where we're leaving off and where we're picking up today. So starting in verse 16 of chapter 5, From now on, then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconcilia reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Going on in chapter 6, just in the beginning where we left off, working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain, for he says, I heard you in an acceptable time, and I helped you in the day of salvation. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So we're picking up. Paul is reminding the church in Corinth. Remember, these are letters that he's writing to a church in a place called Corinth. Um, that if they are in Christ, they have been reconciled to God and that they are ambassadors for Christ. That is the same that is true for us that, that know, know Christ. We have, been cha- we have been charged with a ministry of reconciliation just as Paul lived um, to plead on behalf of Christ for the lost to be reconciled um, through Christ. That's our call. We're called to the same ministry of reconciliation that Paul lived. He begins in chapter 6, referencing back to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. And he's saying that, when he's saying that day of salvation, um, you know, Jesus has come at this point as the Messiah. He died, he rose again. Um, And so the point of the day of salvation is now. Um, What they had been looking forward to in the Old Testament is here. And from now until Christ's second coming, now is the time to accept Christ. So don't wait. And so that's what Paul is telling them. And that's kind of where we left off. So today, again, in chapter 6, I've titled today's sermon as Grieving, Yet Always Rejoicing. And this is kind of a paradox. How can we be grieving but also rejoicing at the same time? It's kind of one of those um, unique things that we as Christians can experience both at the same time. Um, And and we see Paul's going to use this as a reference in verse 10 later on. So, grieving yet always rejoicing. This is also a mark of Paul's ministry, and this should be a mark of all of our lives as Christians as well. Um, Again, this is a paradox, to be grieving and rejoicing at the same time. It's something that we as Christians can only truly understand and experience, because while we still as Christians experience suffering, we still experience loss and mourning, we at the same time can remain joyful and rejoice in the Lord, knowing that he's good, he's in control, and he is sovereign over all things. And he can give us that comfort that we've been talking about throughout this series that goes beyond our human understanding. And this is something that we as the church need to demonstrate to the world. The world needs to see that we are people that grieve, but we're still rejoicing in the midst of that. It's easy for the world to see us offer praise and to remain joyful when our lives are going well, when seemingly we have all of the earthly blessings that we are looking for, and we're saying, wow, God's so good to us. And they're like, okay, cool, that's pretty easy to do. But it's when the world sees us going through trials and sufferings and persecutions, and yet we still remain dedicated and devoted to God and are able to rejoice and praise in the midst of that, That is the ultimate witness that we can have to those around us in the world. That's the entire story of Job in the Old Testament. Um, That's Job's life. Um, Horrible things happened to him, um, and yet he never cursed God. He continued to be obedient and continued to give praise. So we have to remember for us that following Christ does not come with the guarantee of earthly blessing with wealth or just the avoidance of suffering altogether. Um, that's, that's not guaranteed for us as Christians. We should expect suffering. Um, 
So we're going to be picking up in verse 3. Um, and again, I want us to focus on the marks of Paul's ministry here that he lists out. And then we'll, I'm going to read through uh, verse 3 through 10, and then we're going to go back and kind of break it apart. So I want to read the whole part here. So starting in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone so that the ministry will not be blamed. But as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardship, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the message of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good rapport, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying and look we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So here Paul is listing out some different marks of his ministry and then also just us as believers. I'm going to kind of break that down for us. So going back up to verse 3, Paul starts off his message saying, we give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone so that the ministry will not be blamed. So here, Paul is reminding them that as Christians, we are always being watched. Paul is always being watched. His ministry is being observed. And so the world's watching, and he doesn't want any of his actions or his character to be something that stands in way of the ministry of Christ and of his witness, his ability to witness. So he's saying that we want to remove anything that stands in that way. Um, and so Paul goes on in verse 4, but as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything. And he goes on to list a few things that I don't think often we would probably commend ourselves for. So by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardship, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. Paul, you just said we want to remove obstacles in the way of our witness, but to me it sounds like you're listing off a bunch of stumbling blocks. Like if I'm called to be a Christian, I hear that there's going to be hardship and sleepless nights. I don't know if I really want that. Um, great endurance. I'm not really a distance kind of guy. You know, I like the quickest path, the least resistance. I get tired pretty quickly. Afflictions, hardships, difficulty. Yeah, I don't know if people are going to see those as positives, as something that makes them want to follow Jesus. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's removing obstacles. I think Paul uh, may be confused. We want people to follow Jesus. We want them to be appealed to that. Um, but what Paul's saying here is, no, it's all worth it. One thing I think I have always been curious is how, if Paul existed today, if his ministry was today, how would we view his ministry? Like, you can pick any pastor or theologian that you like, and if, if they experience the things that Paul experienced in his ministry, would we be like, yeah, that guy's doing a great job. You know, we joke sometimes here at FX that Jesus' ministry, from an earthly perspective, huge failure. Like, you, you raised up only 12 guys. You know, you can do more than 12. One of them betrayed him. When he died, all but three of his followers left him. 
Um, and so from an earthly perspective, that is a terrible ministry. Man, that, that's horrible. That didn't succeed at all. You know, I think the same, we'd probably think of Paul's today. You know, Paul is someone that we look back on now, I look back on and I think, man, Paul is probably one of the top minds in scripture that we have of all time of understanding God and understanding the word. You know, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. You know, he's such an important figure. Uh, and yet, within Paul's life, if you look at some of the things that he suffered through and dealt with, we'd be like, I don't know if this guy, if he's blessed by God, I don't know if this is how God would want one of his ministers, one of his apostles to live. So you can see here um, in the book of Acts, we have some records of a handful of things that happened to Paul in his life. Um, you can see that he is kidnapped, he's beaten, he's threatened, he's been arrested many times, he's been accused in lawsuits, he's been interrogated, ridiculed, ignored, shipwrecked, he was bit by a viper, he's likely that he was killed for his faith. Um, these are all things that, again, if this happened to somebody today, we'd be like, I don't know if that's the guy I want to follow. I don't know if Matt was being beaten and arrested many times. I don't know if I'd be like, is this the church I want to go to? I'm not sure if this is, a, I'm not sure if this is the place I want to be at. You know, this seems pretty tough. Um, so what would we think of him if he existed today? Um, surely he's got to be doing something wrong. But Paul is saying here that, no, it is all worth it. So he has been through all of these sufferings, all these struggles, and yet it is worth it. Again, from an earthly perspective, to go through all of these things, you know, they would be painful, they would be difficult, and they would be meaningless if not for the gospel. But Paul is saying, because the gospel is true, it is all worth it for these things. And the manner Paul is carrying himself and continues to witness uh, and share the gospel is because the ministry of reconciliation is worth it. He is enduring these trials because it, is, because it is worth it. Now, I think, too, we can think through this in our lens of today. We think about the prosperity gospel a lot and how that they have twisted the message of, of the gospel. You know, Paul's ministry in his life would not be compatible with the prosperity gospel today. If, if any prosperity gospel person experienced all of these things, you would say, well, you just didn't have enough faith because these things wouldn't go wrong with you. Um, you know, prosperity gospel teaches that if you expect Jesus, you go experience earthly blessings. You know, you'll be healed from sickness. You'll have a happy, suffering-free life. And if you do suffer, the only explanation is that I guess you didn't have enough faith. Um, and so you can always, always do more. But I'm pretty sure Paul had enough faith. I think he has a hundred times more faith than I'll ever have, and yet his life seemed to not experience prosperity from a worldly perspective. So we, as Christians, have to be careful how we present the gospel and also how we rebuke others who preach a prosperity gospel. We have to be clear that you know, we're calling people to follow Christ for the blessing of following Christ, not for the earthly prosperity that they will explain. And Paul is explaining that he's not doing any of these things because there's earthly blessing in his ministry. He's explaining, these are all the things that he's experienced, um, and yet he does it because it is worth it. So for us, you know, yes, the gospel comes with the greatest news that we can ever hear, and it comes with all the blessing that we can ever experience, but that doesn't mean that we're going to escape earthly suffering. And it's through that suffering, again, while we suffer, how we handle ourselves, how we conduct ourselves, that can be the ultimate witness to the lost world. 
You know, Jesus warns in Matthew 5 that persecution is going to come. So again, we should expect these things. I think in our American culture, we've kind of lost sight of that often because we don't experience a lot of persecution. The worst thing that's going to happen is people look at us weird. Maybe they call us a name. Um, but we should, again, expect those things. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, this goes right in line with Paul's message that the suffering we experience is worth it, and we should rejoice when that happens. So we're going to jump back to 2 Corinthians 6, picking up in verse 6. Paul is again listing off here um, some different uh, experiences of his power, or not his power, of his um, character that goes through. So he says he's able to endure these sufferings by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the message of truth, by the power of God through weapons of righteousness on the right and on the left. So again, Paul's character and his spirit is not being broken by these sufferings. He's not experienced these, these sufferings and then being bitter at God and cursing God and being hateful. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's been able to show patience and kindness, um, that he's been able to live these things by the power and the truth of the word um, that again, he's been able to be equipped in the armor of God. You know, again, something I think that I'm very guilty of overlooking, and I would argue, again, probably many of us in, in our Western culture probably don't think about a lot, but it's just the, the st specific use of the word weapons, and that as the example, as the analogy that we see. Um, we also see elsewhere that we are to put on the armor of God. We see that in Ephesians. You know, why did they use the example of weapons and armor in Scripture for us to be equipped in Christ? And I think that's because, you know, you wear weapons and armor when you're at war, when you're in a battle. You don't just do that when you're hanging out on the couch and everything's good. You don't have to sit there in your full armor. Um, but we are to be equipped because we are at war. There's a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare that's going on around us that often we don't think about or I don't think about often. I think that's one of Satan's biggest tactics is he wants us to be useless. He wants us to be unaware and to be, you know, just unaware that there's even a battle that's happening around us. And so I'm often guilty of this and letting my guard down and just going through my day not really um, focused that there is things going on around me and I have to be solely focused on Christ in that. So Paul warns about this in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 10, talking about the armor of God for us. And so, again, do you think about these things when you wake up in the morning? Do you live through these things when you're going out in the world? So Paul says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert 
in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak, bold enough in him to speak as I should. So again, I think for me, I'm going to start reading this every morning when I wake up, when I go to work, just to, again, remind myself that there's a war going on. We have to be aware of that. We have to be equipped um, to handle that. Because again, when challenges and sufferings come, it is only through the power of God that we'll be able to endure. We don't want to let Satan lull us into this sense of just laziness and just kind of you know indifference. We want to be on guard and remember that we uh, are at war. Um, so we need to rely on the Holy Spirit for help. And Paul is saying, again, this is how he's been able to endure those things. Back to chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, picking up in verse 8. Paul goes on, Through glory and dishonor, through slander and good rapport, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, and dying, as dying and look, we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing but possessing everything. So again, Paul's listing off a few different paradoxes here that again come with the Christian ministry that while we may look like one thing to the outsiders, in reality, this is who we truly are. When we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, when we minister in purity, in knowledge, in patience, and in kindness like we see in verse 6, there will be people who will honor us but then there will also be others who will dishonor us. Paul is saying that both will happen, you know. Some may speak well of us, while others may slander us and give us a bad name. These are these paradoxes he's going through. They may call us false teachers, hypocrites, or deceivers. That is to be expected if we are preaching the word of God. This is in line with what Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 26. He says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. You know, the gospel is offensive. Those in darkness hate the light. Um, They're opposites. If everyone speaks well of you, that should probably cause you to have some concern and realize, am I preaching the full gospel? Um, Not that we should be trying to actively offend people, but just knowing that naturally those in the darkness are going to hate the light when when it is heard and when it is seen. So if everyone speaks well of you, well, that might be a concern for how you are preaching the gospel. In verse 9, again, kind of going through these paradoxes, Paul says, as unknown yet recognized. So again, in the world, um, especially at the time, you know, Christians, they're a bunch of nobodies. Like, they, they don't have any power in the Roman Empire, all those things. They're a bunch of nobodies. But yet they are known and chosen by God. So unknown yet recognized by God is the most important Uh, who knows them. They're dying and look, we live. This is still true today, but especially evident in Paul's time uh, as Christians. We're being killed for their faith regularly, but though they may die, though they may be killed, Christians will live in eternity with Christ. They have their life found in Christ. Disciplined, yet not killed. You can think of disciplined as punished. They're being punished, yet they're enduring. You know, while they're facing many punishments, uh, you know, Paul is an example. Yet God is helping them to endure and continuing to preserve them through their lives. Grieving, yet always rejoicing. Again, the title of the sermon today. We grieve. You know, there are countless things that we experience um, as humans that cause us to grieve. We experience loss, failure, tragedy, 
And yet, as Christians, we are still a people of joy, and we always have a reason to rejoice because, again, God is good, and he will bring the comfort that comes from us. And so the world needs to see, again, that we are grieving. We experience hard things, but we're open in sharing that God is still our hope, and he is still good. Poor, yet enriching many. We may be poor according to the world's wealth. We may not have a lot, but we make people rich in Christ and finding every blessing and treasure that we could ever need through Christ. Having nothing yet possessing everything. Again, we have nothing of our own. We've counted it all as lost. Yet everything in in this life is temporary and worthless, but in Christ we've received everything we will ever need. Um, We are co-heirs with Christ. We are going to inherit all of the blessings in eternity. So again, Paul is doing, within this passage that we've looked at, He's saying all these things to remove the stumbling block that people could have been thinking that, again, he was a Christian that was only in it for the earthly benefits that came with it, you know, whether that was wealth or or stature or whatever that was. He's saying, no, I'm not doing it for that. Again, look at the hardships I'm dealing with. Um, His endurance, his character, he's all able to do it through God, through the power of God. He continues on because he knows that it's true and he knows that it is worth it. Um, Again, it's not because of some earthly benefit That is why he's going on. So thinking back to the idea of grieving at rejoicing, we as Christians have to be open in our struggles with the world. You know, I think I'm often prone to wanting to hide my struggles and my grief from from the world. You know, oftentimes I like to be a very private person. I like to keep things to myself. But the world needs to see that through struggles, we continue to be joyful. We continue to offer praise. You know, I think about, too, as an example, social media. Social media is all fake. We all post all the good things. I'm just as guilty of this, too. If you look at my Facebook, there's pretty much only, only good things on there. Um, we often share the highs. We want to present our lives as prosperous and perfect. We have the perfect family. We go on these vacations, all those things. But we don't show the reality. We don't show, we show the family picture. We don't show the argument that happened three seconds before trying to get everyone lined up. Um, you know, we don't share all of those things. And that's often how we experience with the world offline. I'm not trying to make a judgment about social media. I hate social media. I want to get off it every week, but I'm still addicted to it. Um, so I'm not saying you need to post all your stuff on social media, but that's just an example. You know, we, we do the same things offline too, or at least I do. I talk about the good things with my coworkers. You know, I share about all the different things that are going on in my life, but at the same time, I often don't open up about the suffering that I, that I experience or any of the hard times. I don't want people to see those things. And so we have to be able to open that up to people so that again, they can see through the sufferings that yet Christ is supreme, Christ is in control, and I'm comforted by that. Um, so we have to you know, like, are we allowing others to see the sufferings yet are rejoicing at the same time? Or are we only letting them see the prosperity and the blessings of our life? Um, because if we're only showing the prosperity, you know, you may think, you know, I'm, I'm not a part of the prosperity gospel. I don't do those things. But if we're only showing the good times and the blessings, then what happens when somebody knows you're a Christian? And they're like, oh, cool. Luke's life is so great. I want to be like Luke, so I'm going to be a Christian too. And then when they experience suffering, when they become a Christian, well, that's not what I thought being a Christian was like. Looking at your life, everything's been amazing at your life. Um, so we have to be open in that and sharing that, you know, we have to connect with people and allow them to see those moments of our lives and be able to see that regardless of all the, the trials, the tribulations, the suffering, Christ remains in control. He gives us the joy and the hope that we have. And so I think that's something that would draw many people, especially in, in my generation and younger, that we want to see authenticity. I think this is true of all generations, but you know, we know the world is broken. We see the corruption. We see the struggles. We see all of the, the hardship 
but we need to see the authenticity of it. You know, we don't need to hide and pretend that everything is perfect. We don't want that. We know that that's not true. Um, we need to see the hope that Christians have in Christ. That's what the world needs to see. Um, they need hope. They know that life is hard. They know that relationships are hard. They know inherently that their flesh is dying. They know that they're going to die someday. Um, and they need that hope so that for us, we have to keep in mind when we experience trials, sufferings, don't hide and try to cover it up. Allow people to see that even in the midst of these struggles, that I am still faithful to God and he is still in control and I know that I'll be comforted. Um, people are always watching us as Christians. And so, especially when we're going through struggles, they're waiting to see if we're going to curse God, if we're going to walk away. Um, you know, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So for us, we have to tell the world that we have a God of comfort who cares for us and that we can have joy in the face of adversity. You know, oftentimes we go through trials. God allows trials to happen sometimes so that we can come out the other side and be able to be a, a witness and minister to those experiencing similar trials um, and experiencing similar adversity. So we have to remember that we have to be willing to be open and be vulnerable uh, to others around us. So going back to chapter 6, kind of transitioning here in verse 11, uh, Paul closes out this chapter and addresses two issues uh, that he's observed with um, the church in Corinth. So picking up in verse 11, uh, he talks about the first issue here. We have spoken openly to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. You are not limited by us, but you are limited by your own affections. I speak as to my children. As a proper response, you should also be open to us. So the first issue Paul is addressing is that the Corinthians have been closed off to Paul. Paul's life and his message has been an open book. He's not trying to keep any secrets, not trying to hide anything. And he speaks out of a love for them that he shares the things going on in his life. He shares the sufferings, the trials. He's demonstrated that, again, as, as someone talking to their children, as a father does. So he's been very clear that he has an affection for the Corinthian church. Um, again, our hearts have been opened wide. I speak as to my children. Paul's love for them is demonstrated in his openness. He's opened up. But they are not reciprocating the same level of love to Paul by, because they're being closed off to him. So he's saying, you need to open up. Um, and this is, again, something I've struggled with before in my past and um, can still struggle with at times is that often I don't want to open up to others. I want to keep things internal and just lock them up in a box and forget about them. Um, but that is not what love is. That's not loving. loving love is a two-way street. It requires both parties to open up. Um, and that can be scary, you know, for, for me to truly love Annie and to truly be known by each other. We have to be vulnerable in opening up about what we are experiencing. Um, the, the great author C.S. Lewis has a, a great quote in his book, The Four Loves, um, talking about just about love in general. And so C.S. Lewis says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will continually be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe in the, in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And so again, I thought this was a, a good quote to kind of explain again. Love is vulnerable. You have to be willing to open up. So I ask you here in this room and those online, 
Are there people in this church that you've opened up to? Are you carrying a burden that no one else knows? You know, we want to help you and walk with you and love you. But again, love is a two-way street, and you have to be willing and vulnerable to open that up so that we know what you're struggling with. You know, we always say at FX, you know, we're willing to walk with you as you struggle until the day you die. Um, but as soon as you give up on fighting that, or if you don't even open up that you're struggling, how are we as the church to love you, to disciple you, to walk with you? Paul is asking for the Corinthian church to be open, and I'm asking the same, same of you. You don't have to carry that burden on your own. If you're feeling stuck in your faith and aren't experiencing any growth, um, if you're repeatedly struggling with sin and you just can't seem to beat it, let me ask you, do others in the church know that you're struggling? Have you allowed other believers to speak into your life and walk with you? Because I know that there are many here who would love to walk with you and help you. You know, maybe this is a new concept to you. For me, it certainly was when I came to FX. I grew up in church. I grew up in a larger church. Um, I'd never really been discipled before. I didn't have people in my life who I regularly shared the intimate details and struggles of my life before. So when I got here and I started to get discipled and find those people and open up about the things I was struggling with, I saw my faith explode in growth. Um, and so if you're sitting here and struggling, like, I never see any growth, are there people that are walking with you that are discipling you? Um, because if there's not, you need that. And you'll be amazed what will happen when you open up to others. So if that is you, um, can I just challenge you to let others in the church in? You know, find somebody here that you can open up to. A regroup is a great way to do that. Be able to walk with others regularly in fellowship and be able to begin to open up. Discipleship's another great way. So come talk to our staff. Come talk to someone if you need help, if you want to be discipled. Um, you have to be willing to take that risk of opening up, though. So that's the first issue Paul is addressing, that again, he loves them, but they are not reciprocating that same level of love and openness um, that they are experiencing. The second Paul goes on and, and talks about in verse 14. So in verse 14, Paul says, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. And for me, I always grew up here in this verse, uh, you may be familiar with it in the other translation in New King James or King James, where it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, a yoke is something that would have made a ton of sense as an example to, to Christians in, in the Bible, but for us, many of us are not farmers, so it's not something that is as applicable for us. But a yoke is a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the neck of two animals, and it's attached uh, to help them plow a cart and to pull. So you can see up on the screen, there's two, two oxes that are, are yoked up together. And so Paul's saying, do not be unequally yoked. Um, it, this is also calling back in Deuteronomy in the law, uh, in, ver in chapter 22, it says, you shall not plow an ox with a donkey together. I don't fully know why you shouldn't plow an ox and a donkey together, but God says you shouldn't, and so we shouldn't. Um, maybe it's because, you know, they're just completely different creatures. Maybe they'll hate each other. I don't know. They have different natures, though, so they're incompatible, and God says don't do that. The same is true for us, and this is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians, and it applies to us today. You know, there are certain associations, you know, what is a yoke? There are certain associations that Christians have with unbelievers that would constitute a yoke. And these asso associations are, are cause for misery and shame in a Christian's life for us. You know, we're to avoid them. They'll hinder us. They limit us. They bind us from being able to be obedient to God and being able to enjoy the fullness of God uh, that he has in mind for us. So, you know, if we're, if we're yoked up together and I'm trying to follow God over here, but my partner's trying to follow the world over there, we're not going anywhere. I can't go here because I'm yoked up over here. Um, so that's what Paul is saying. Do not be mismatched. Do not be unequally yoked. 
with someone else. And then he goes on to kind of illustrate that further. He says, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Again, Paul gives this example, righteousness and lawlessness. How could someone who cares for and believes what is right partner with someone who has no regard for what is right? Um, How can those partner together? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Again, complete opposites. Light and darkness cannot exist together. They're as opposite as they can be. Goes one step further in verse 15. What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? With an unbeliever. Belial is another name for Satan that's used in scripture. It's translated as worthlessness or wickedness. So what could Christ ever have in agreement with Satan and his wickedness? In line with that, what does an unbeliever have in common with a believer? You know, one of them is dead in their sin and their trespasses and rejects Christ while the other was born again and has the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. You know, how can they, what do they have in common? At, the, at some point, they're going to collide and they're going to have to split apart. Um, they, they can't coexist in the same direction uh, forever that way. So again, Paul says, what agreement goes on in verse 16, what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch anything, any unclean thing and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So again, the question we're asking, what, consider, what is considered a yoke with an unbeliever? You know, how do we draw that line? Where do we draw that? Is it a friendship with an unbeliever? Is it working in a secular job? Is it going on a date with an unbeliever? And we got to be careful how we draw that line because if we draw it too extreme, we can use that to avoid all contact with the outside world. You know, if we say we don't want to be yoked up with any unbeliever, so I'm not even going to talk to them. I'm not going to be in the world. I'm going to live in a little silo, never see anyone who doesn't know Christ. I think one area that the history of church teaching would agree on is that marriage is a type of yoke that Paul is describing here is one of the examples of those. You know, it's a relationship that's not easily broken. We as Christians, again, should not marry non-believers. Paul warns about this uh, in his first letter to the Corinthian church in, in chapter 7. And hear me too, Paul's not saying, he makes this clear in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians, that if you are already married to a non-believer, you're not supposed to divorce them. That's not what he's saying. Um, he addresses that again in 1 Corinthians well, saying that an unbelieving spouse can be sanctified through their believing spouse. But Paul is telling the Corinthians to stop forming these relationships. People are continuing to do this. You need to stop doing that. And there's warning that there's a deadly danger that can happen when these relationships are formed. You know, another aspect when we think of a yoke is, again, it's something that's constraining someone. It's limiting someone. It's forcing you to comply with what, what the other, whoever you're yoked up with, wants you to do. And so anything that constrains you from being able to fully obey God could be a yoke. It could be a friendship, potentially. If that relationship is one that is so close uh, that you feel like you're unable to be obedient to God without them being offended or... Um, and so in doing so, you're just not going to be obedient to God. You know, that could be um, a yoke uh, that is mismatched. And again, you should break that off. We are a temple of God. We have to be obedient, obedient to God if it is in that case. So God dwells in his people. He calls us sons and daughters. He must be in control. So don't pair yourself up with somebody that isn't allowing God to also be in control of their life. As we close, Paul begins chapter 7 in verse 1 saying, Therefore, dear friends, since we have such promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, 
completing our sanctification in the fear of the Lord. So friends, I don't know exactly where you're at today. You know, if you are somebody that knows Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and God has called you his son and, or daughter. You know, we're called to be ambassadors of Christ, and we share in the ministry of reconciliation that Paul demonstrates. You know, we have to be people that are open, uh, that while we are people who grieve, we are yet always rejoicing. We have to allow people to see that. As struggles and trials come, let us be a witness and a light to the world on how we endure and how we experience the joy and comfort of God through it. If you are a Christian, you're struggling with joy, with doubts, with sin. Have you confessed that before the Lord? Have you opened up to someone in the church that they know that you're struggling? If you have, know that you're not going through this alone. We want to walk with you. We're praying for you. If you haven't, can I challenge you today? Share that with someone. Open up. At least make plans with someone to meet up later this week. Don't wait any longer. Um, don't leave this place without opening up or, or scheduling a time to open up. And friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to him, you can do that today. As Paul said, look, now is an acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You can experience the joy of salvation in the comfort of God. It doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect or it's going to be suffering free, but it does mean that you, are, you can be reconciled to God. And when you die and stand before God uh, in judgment, you'll stand clean by Jesus' blood and get to spend eternity in the full presence of God. Maybe you aren't quite ready to make that decision today. Maybe you have more questions be bold enough to ask someone. Ask those questions. Talk to our staff. Talk to somebody here if a friend brought you. Um, if they don't know the answer, if we don't know the answer, you know, we won't lie to you. We won't make something up. We'll just say, hey, that's a great question. Let's look at the Word of God together and see what we can find. But if you are ready to surrender your life to Christ, you can do that right now. So I'm going to close in prayer. Matt's going to come up, talk about communion uh, briefly, and then we will take communion. So if you will join me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for you know, the example of, of Paul and, and knowing that he examples his life after you. He models his life after your life, Jesus. So Lord, help us to ultimately look at you as the, the ultimate example, but help us to be obedient to what Paul is calling us to do. Lord, to be open, to be relying on you and that while we experience suffering, while we experience trials, that we would be open in sharing our hope and our comfort that comes from you. Lord, I pray um, for, for those here struggling with doubts or with sin or with not experiencing enough growth in their faith, Lord. I pray that they would open up, that they would help, uh, seek help, that they would um, be willing to be vulnerable and to, to love one another in a way that is opening themselves up um, to potentially being hurt, to experiencing growth. Um, Lord, I pray that they would do that. Lord, I pray that you would give them boldness to, to reach out to someone today in our church. Lord, I pray for, for those that don't know you. Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you or is watching online and they want to surrender their life, Lord, I pray they would do that now. Lord, I pray that they would just ask you and just say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again for my sins. And you... Uh, have come in a way to allow me to be reconciled to God. And so I pray and ask that you would forgive me of my sins and that you would come into my life and save me. And I just lay my life down before you. Um, I know that there will still be trials. I know there will still be suffering. But I see that it is worth it. And I want you to come into my life. I pray that your spirit would come and fill me. 
So Lord, I pray that they would pray that prayer. And if they did, I pray that they would tell someone. I pray that they would share and that we could walk with them and train them and disciple them in the ways of your truth. Um, Lord, again, I just pray for, for each person here in this room and those online. Lord, I just pray that you would open their hearts to your word. Lord, help them to have a desire to seek you out. Uh, and Lord, that they can be fully known by you and that they would be known by the church as well and not just trying to, to live life in privacy, but to being vulnerable and opening that up. So I pray all this. I thank you for the gift of communion that we can celebrate here in a moment um, and that we can come and remember the, the cost of our sins and that you've come to commune with us and to dwell in our hearts. Lord, we give you praise. Praise in your name.